Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with the awesome Najahi Events and Najahi Tribe. Now, if you want to learn how to be better, you want to improve your game, you want to learn how to build a business, you want to learn how to sell more, you want to learn how to be a public speaker, you want to learn how to do social media, you want to learn to be better at what you do, or you want to learn new skills so that you can grow, go check out the Najahi Tribe. Okay, there's a great number of awesome trainers and coaches there, including me. Okay, if you go check it out, you'll be able to see the courses they've got to offer bring massive value to you so please i urge you to do so we can't stagnate we've got to keep growing we've got to keep going forward okay on today's episode of the spencer lodge podcast we have the awesome craig ballantyne let me read a little bit about him because i think you might want to listen to this one okay so craig okay written three books i wrote one and it nearly killed me three new york times best-selling books one of them is called unstoppable which really is a powerful book to read go check them out he started as a personal trainer many years ago that's what he got that's what he did but then he evolved into being a professional business coach and he's hugely successful over in canada and the u.s hopefully we'll get him over here in dubai so he's the author of the perfect day formula the perfect week formula the wall street journal bestseller unstoppable over the past 20 years he's built five five seven-figure businesses, okay? Five seven-figure businesses. This is, this is huge, okay? He helps stuck and struggling entrepreneurs get clarity, discipline, and strategies. They need to increase their impact, income, and influence while working a whole lot less, okay? He's the host of the Early to Rise podcast and the co-host of Empire Show, so go check those out. He's also a strength and conditioning coach. He says that his greatest mentors have been his dogs, and if you watch his videos, you'll know why. Ladies and gentlemen, let's please enjoy Mr. Craig Valentine. Cue the music. So at last, it took me a while to get you on the show, but thank you very much for coming. I appreciate it. Well, you know, it's hard to coordinate the, what are we, uh, we would be a 12 hour time difference. So thank you for being so accommodating. I think the benefit of having a Canadian PR manager might have been able to twist it for me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it was, it was funny. She grew up uh, quite close to where I grew up. So, yeah, it was, it was really uh, good. You know, that, that is like the element of sales, though, right? You build that rapport, and, and then it's, uh, it makes the slide so much smoother to ride down. I saw it on the emails. I saw it. She was doing a little bit of bonding with you. I was like, here we go. <laughs> Well, I have to thank Samantha afterwards. Okay, so Greg, do me a favor. And for the benefit of my audience over here in the UAE, give us your elevator pitch. Give us five minutes about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town in Canada, which uh, probably don't know the sport of ice hockey, but I wanted, to, I wanted to be in the professional sport industry. I started going down that path, and then I got really lucky. I started writing for Men's Health magazine in 2000 when I was still in graduate school. And I realized quickly, I'm more of a nerd. I want to be behind the computer. So I built a program and maybe people over there will know Tony Horton and P90X, which was an exercise program you could you know, buy the DVDs of and watch those. So I built my own version of that and basically focused on that from 2000 to 2015. I had a lot of struggles. I had severe anxiety attacks that I had to overcome. And I built a nice online business. And then I just got tired of being in the fitness industry, like every industry. There's crazy claims. And I just didn't want to play in that world anymore. I couldn't keep up with the liars and thieves. And so I left that industry. And along the way, I had become very famous for my productivity and my business coaching. And so I went full time into that in about 2015 uh, when I wrote my first book, Perfect Day Formula. 
Um, and here we are today, you know, helping a lot of people, wrote a couple other books and connecting with awesome people and doing events all around the world as well, but not yet one in Dubai. Okay, well, as soon as we get the lockdown over, we'll make sure we get you over here. Now, you've you've written three books, and look, I uh, I have big issues with books because I wrote a book, and it was the, probably the toughest thing I've ever done to sit down and, 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 and plan it all out, think it all through, get motivated to do it, demotivated because it took longer than I thought, and, and, you know, and then go back to it and work on it again, and then you know, surround myself with too many people going, well, that's not that difficult, is it? Which made me even more angry. So, so I, I'm, you know, people say to me, have you got another book in you? And I'm like, I, for sure, but you ain't having it. <laughs> so when you write a book, you know, it takes a lot out of you, put a lot into it. Did you enjoy the whole experience of writing books? So I've done, I've done uh, my books in three different ways. And the last one, I barely did any work on. So, so I'll give you a really, really quick breakdown of how I did it. First book, same as you. I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't even have the proper outline, which if you are thinking of writing a book before you go and write the book, the outline is the key. My friend Ryan Holiday taught me that after I'd written my first book and I realized, oh my goodness, it would have been so much easier. So I wrote 300 pages, got stuck because they were essays and I, I actually like writing. So I've been writing, you know, probably 2000 words a day since 2000. So I like it, but I had written this thing that wasn't joined together. I, I was ready to give up and uh, my friend said, well, why don't you email Tucker, Tucker Max. And so, you know, I got in charge, uh, contact with Tucker and he has a thing called, it was called Book in a Box. Now it's called Scribe Media, which I use for my second book, which I'll talk about in a second. But I just went to their editor there. I sent them 300 pages. They sent me back 110. I was like, give me back those hours of my life where I wrote those extra 200 pages. Um, and then I remember you know, nine rounds of edits. And I remember being in a hotel room in Istanbul, the Ritz Carlton in Istanbul, overlooking the sunrise on the Bosphorus when I sent the final email with the final edits. And it was like one of the greatest moments in my life because I'm a bookworm and I loved it. So that, that was really pivotal for me because writing the book was very transformational for my life because it allowed me to make that leap from fitness guy over to the business coaching side. So that was the first way I did it. The second way I went through Tucker's company where they interview you, then they write the book. Um, you go back and forth to make sure it's in your voice. That didn't turn out as well as I wanted because I'm, you know, I rewrote every sentence because I'm very, very much a stickler, but that turned into a Wall Street Journal bestseller called Unstoppable. And then the third book, The Perfect Week Formula, I had in between Unstoppable and The Perfect Week Formula figured out everything I had done wrong previously. So when I wrote The Perfect Day Formula, I got probably about 500 questions about, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? So we realized we wrote the wrong book. We had to go write The Perfect Week Formula. I realized I didn't have enough stories about successful clients in my books, so we added a whole lot more there. But most importantly, I had groomed a young man 23 years old to write in my voice. So all of our daily emails that go out in my business are written by him and no one's the wiser uh, because he just knows how to write in my voice. And so I did the audios. I told all these stories in a couple of hours and sent him off and he wrote the book. I have hundreds of coaching clients. So what I did was I said, hey, does anybody want to proofread the book? We had 25 people proofread the book over a weekend. We got all the mistakes caught. And sure enough, we turned that book around in probably 120 days. And everyone says it's my best book yet, which I didn't even write. That's really interesting. 
All right, let's talk about find that guy. And every I've got more books than me. I'm sure you do. If you can find that young man or young woman to write in your voice, you can crank them out. Yeah, you can get them done. Yeah, good point. Okay, let's talk about let's talk about what I see a lot at the moment. You know, I'm 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 in the whole coaching space, so I I see whether that be the the Tony Robbins of the world or the lesser people of the world. I see a lot of a lot of the you know the KBB with Dean. I was with him the other day, Dean Graziosi, and um, and Jim Quick was at him the other day as well. And and I I fear that what a lot of people miss when it comes to becoming coached or, or coachable is are they in the right place themselves to start a journey and I see a lot of people wanting it you know a load of people say what they say you know you know I want more I want better I want this I want a new start I want you know like it goes on and on and on but I just think there's a lot of people out there that either aren't ready for it psychologically like in the right place or aren't necessarily the right type in in a way that Somebody that studies to be a chartered accountant probably doesn't believe they'll ever be a great salesperson, just like a great salesperson probably doesn't believe they're ever going to be a chartered accountant in that kind of way. Do, do, what, do, what are thoughts do you have around that? Well, the first one for sure, and I had an incident just last week with a client who you know, said, I realized for the first two months of, of you know, our coaching that you know, he's let his ego get in the way. He doesn't want to be seen as someone who's not, you know, who doesn't know what they're doing. And, and I was like that once too. And you do have to become coachable. Like he wouldn't share losses. He wouldn't, he, he didn't want to be embarrassed. He didn't want to think, you know, to have somebody judging him. And since he's opened up and reversed course on that, of course, everything has moved so much faster. And, and I was once like that. I, I didn't, I waited three years too long to hire a coach. So I hired my first coach in 2006. I had the money in 2003. I had the desire, the ambition, but I, I was not mature enough to set the ego aside because the ego is the enemy. I didn't do that. And, you know, I was the know-it-all and so on and so forth. And it really stunted my growth personally and professionally. So you do, you, you're absolutely right. You do need to be ready for the coaching. And you do need to be the type of person who believes I may not be the, you know, if the salesperson doesn't think they can become a counselor, well, it doesn't mean you can become the world's best, but you can get better at it. And I'm the type of person who believes in the constant and never ending improvement. And I'm always going to try and get better that if I was to take something up again, I don't expect, like, let's say I took up, uh, you know, sprinting. I don't expect I'll ever be Usain Bolt or whoever is the number one now, but I can personally improve a little bit every day and a lot in a year. And then when you have your mindset of like, okay, I'm going to set the ego aside and I'm going to be, a, I'm just going to focus on improvement. Well, you know, then you're ready and you can make huge, huge uh, growth, strides and growth and everything. And, and what I found is actually the third element is that if you think that you're smarter than the coach, you will, fail. So I, I, I came from the fitness world and I don't know how much you know about the fitness world, but they do the competitions where they oil up and, you know, put on their underwear and pose in front of a crowd. And, and what you found, like, you know, back in the Arnold days, he's done it. Yeah. What you usually find is the people who win those contests, you, you would have a chat with them and you're like, Oh, this, you know, no offense to them, but they're, they're not the sharpest tool in the box. And then you meet like really smart people who, you know, come in 20th and you go, what's the difference here? And the smart person who struggles, and it's the same with business coaching, 
They think they, they can take the advice from you. You know, you've been in the game for how many years, built so many businesses, and they think, oh, well, okay, that's kind of helpful, but I'm going to make it better, and they go reinvent the wheel. Whereas the person who wins those competitions, the person who becomes successful in business, where everybody looks and goes, how was that person successful? They simply get told what to do by the coach. They go and do it. And then they come back asking for more. They go and do it and so on and so forth. It's remarkable that I see that over and over again. Uh, yeah, bang on. I think there's a good gauge when you go to, I don't know, if you go to Tony Robbins events, you'll see the ones that dance and the ones that don't. And the ones that don't are standing there going, well, I'm not getting involved in this for goodness sake. You know, it's just a bit, a little bit below me. And uh, I always look at those people and think, are you really going to take on board what you're learning here? Because you, you won't, you, you're not willing to be, it's almost vulnerable. You're not willing to kind of open yourself up to, to change your state into a different way of thinking. It's that, that kind of almost that British stiff upper lip type of mindset, you know? That would have been me. That would have been me um, in my mid to late 20s. It absolutely would have been me because I, I would roll my eyes when my friends would go. And, and, you know, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed to say it, but I know I'm wrong that, that if you're going to go, you got to go all in on this stuff. And certainly when I've gotten the coaching and said, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm embarrassed to share this number with you. Like that's, you must do that because if I, like if, let's just use the analogy of back pain. Let's say you, you have back pain. You go to a back pain doctor. You don't tell him you were in a car accident. You don't show him how you sit all day long. Is he going to be able to, or she going to be able to fix you? No. No, they, they don't have all the information. So you got to be vulnerable to give up all the information. I think that's a great analogy. It's, I, you, know, it, it, you talk a lot about goals and, and, and I do too. I'm, I'm firm. And I'm also the 90 day aspect as well. It's what I preach and what I teach too. So we're on exactly the same page there. However, you know, and Grant Cardone told me this. We had dinner, I don't know, when he was here last time and we sit there and he's like, Tell me more, Spence, about what you're trying to do. And I'm like, I just want people to win, Grant. I just want people to win. He said, mate, he said, you're going to have a tough time doing that. He said, because most people won't win because most people don't want to win. And you can't want somebody to win more than they want to win. <laughs> you can't want them to want it more than they want it. And so what you've got to understand is you need to spread your net wider and that percentage that do want it and that do engage and do toe the line and commit to it, that percentage is the same percentage, but it becomes a bigger number. Don't try and convince and convert everybody because that's just like religion. You're not going to get everyone to be a Christian. It just ain't going to happen. And I, does that make sense to you? It, it does. It does. And, you know, one, one or two more um, insights on the coaching is I have been at many meetings. I have been at many dinners with mastermind members. And, and early in my career, I would sit there and I go, if I could buy stock in you, I would buy stock right now. You're going to be super successful. And sure enough, I was wrong. Just like actually picking real stocks. And then you're like, you meet somebody, you go, yeah, you know, you'll do okay. Or like, I don't have any hope for you. Sure enough, you hear about them a year later and they've blown the roof off. So what I've learned is that one, you can never predict who's that, who is going to be that person. So I, again, that makes casting the wider net a really great idea because if you were just to go out there and try and pick people, you'd be wrong most of the time. So you just need to cast the, the net really wide. And then the other thing 
is that you never know when the person will be ready for it. So back to our original uh, thing, you know, it's like some people could, could have all the tools, but not the, the reason why, the burning desire. Like, oh, I've got a comfortable job or, you know, the business is doing okay. The marriage is good. You know, I've got this, that, or the other thing. And then there needs to be, a, you know, just like in any movie, there needs to be an inciting incident in the hero's journey before it clicks. It, you know, it just doesn't click. Like I had a, a client, a guy named Tyler Bramlett, very, very successful in the fitness uh, space these days. But he, would, he came to our mastermind for about 18 months and just, you know, we'd see him, we'd tell him what to do. He'd come, you know, we'd talk to him in between, not a lot of progress. He'd come back to the next meeting. What have you done? Not much, like maybe he went and did a whole bunch of other things, got distracted. And then at one meeting, you know, all of a sudden we started to see something change in him. And it was because, you know, he had his first baby. And uh, during the, the delivery of the baby, the, you know, the baby almost died, the mom almost died. And it just, it just turned that switch inside his head. And he went into beast mode after that. And we see this in, in all types, you know, men, women, young, old, all that you know, you could, someone could be cruising through life until they hit 60 and all of a sudden something happens where they have to change. And, you know, this year's a lot has changed and it's been, I mean, what an incredible, you know, uh, one way to say it is, is incredible study in human psychology this year has been some people immediately shut down when, you know, it really wasn't, shouldn't have been that bad for their business, but they shut down, turned off, checked out. Whereas other people, and again, people I didn't expect have just stepped into greatness and become great leaders and against all odds came out stronger after, you know, the first uh, 120 days of this crisis so far. So, man, it's just, you, you never know when you're operating with humans. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with it. To take me back to when you were a bit younger and you were a kid and you were, you, you, were, you, were you born into a privileged family? Did you have working class family? And, and again, I, I don't, I don't want to dig in too much detail here. I want to kind of see what, where, where, you, where you kind of like move from a platform into, into the success that you had. So were you kind of, I was average at school, you know, I, 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 I didn't really do very well. I didn't really like it. Um, if, if there were sports, I was up for that. Uh, anything else, I was generally staying out the window and so I kind of had an average and then my parents got divorced when I was seven years old so we kind of had an average upbringing nothing fancy and so you can't say there was that point that happened to me um what was it like well you? I, I mean I would say I mean you could argue that it was very privileged you know depending on where you are in the world and you could argue that um, you know you had your I had my tough break so you know grew up on a farm in Canada you know you don't have a lot of money um, and my father was an alcoholic for 30 years. So there was obviously a lot of tension and trauma inside the, the home. You know, fortunately he was only like a, a yeller and not, uh, you know, he didn't physically abuse anybody in the house. I love the guy, but he made a lot of mistakes in his life. And, you know, we grew up and, and the greatest thing, I guess I was privileged to see a mother and father work so darn hard. You know, my mom would work her, she was a receptionist at a factory, came home at night, in the wintertime, sewing clothes for three or four hours. In the summertime, in the garden for three or four hours, you know, canning foods and all that type of stuff. So I was very privileged to see that. Now, again, it was embarrassing to have your father show up at your uh, sports as, you know, drunk. I mean, obviously, that's not something that you would say is a privilege upbringing. So I did all that. And I didn't expect myself to be an entrepreneur. I, I, one of the lucky things was when I was 12 years old, I got my first job off the farm. Uh, making $2.85 an hour digging ditches at a local greenhouse. But the privilege there was 
I worked for one of the best entrepreneurs in town. I learned how to take care of your employees. I learned how to take care of your customers. I watched a man, he was maybe like early 50s, but he was, you know, I've, I, for some reason, I went in early and stayed early. And I think it was just to make a, like an extra $2 or whatever it was I could make. And, but I saw he was still there before me and he was still there after me and working really hard. And his father was 90 years old and came in and, and for a couple hours in the afternoon. So I learned a lot from him. I almost had like a rich dad, poor dad, I guess you would say. And, and so then I went off to college and I still didn't expect to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't until I had a falling out with one of my bosses in my early personal training career that I realized I was unemployable and I better take this online business serious and off I went and I never worked for anybody again. But I, but I certainly didn't, wasn't that person one with the lemonade stand, you know, you hear about those, yeah, at seven years old, I opened up my first lemonade stand and made a thousand dollars a week. No, I wasn't that type of person. Yeah, I'm trading baseball cards. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so I mean, I had I ups and downs. <laughs> I had ups and downs in my life. And I think, I think that the greatest thing is that I was born, I mean, I, I don't know if you can be born at a better time. Um, for the first 45 years of my life, you could have been born at a better time than 1975 in North America. And that was pretty lucky. Yeah, I was born in 1970. I think life was pretty cool for me from that perspective. Yeah, too. exactly. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the work that you do to help people because the, the, the Right now is a really tough time for a lot of people. I know, I know that, that there's people that have lent into this and gone, whoa, opportunity, um, like you've mentioned already. But the vast majority haven't. The vast majority went into a, oh my God, if I catch this disease, it's like the bubonic plague, I'm going to die. That was the first experience for a lot of people had. I mean, if I came in the front door at my house, my wife would almost stand there with a hose and jet wash me down. You know, to, 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 you know the groceries coming through the door were disinfected, cans were disinfected. It doesn't matter what it is, it was disinfected. And so, uh, and so lots of people went through this fear you know my parents are 75 years old and it's like well hold on a minute here do we want to go see my folks and all that kind of stuff and so th there was a lot of fear and so lots of people you know real estate brokers for example the first thing they said is oh well, we can't do viewings if we can't do viewings we can't sell houses rather than we can't do viewings there must be another way that that's the mindset and so the, a, a lot of people went into this kind of negative spiral and then when the lockdown and we were one of the first countries to have the lockdown lifted when the lockdown was lifted um we we then saw people enthusiastic and passionate uh, and getting stuck stuck back into it again and then the redundancies came and over here there's no furloughing there's no there's no income support there's no free education there's no free healthcare. so so when you lose your job here you lose your resident permit and you either got to get on a plane and go somewhere or get another job and the airlines are firing people left, right, and Chelsea, and so on and such forth. So there's a lot of people out there that, that genuinely are worried about what's going to happen going forward. And that you know, talking to them about establishing goals and thinking about their future and the steps they need to take. For a lot of people, it's just like, I don't care. I, I'm just in panic mode right now. I can't get myself into the right frame of thought. I don't know which direction to head in. I don't have a job. It looks like I won't have a job. And so I've just got to find a job. And I don't care what it is. So whatever it is, I'll do. Or should I get on a plane and go home? Or should I throw the towel in? What should I do? And it's, there's lots of this 
trying to talk at the moment. And it's and it's served beautifully by the incredible propaganda of our news channels telling different stories about whatever, you know, well, you've got a crazy one. Well, you have, well, no, your one isn't so bad, but Trump's bad and Don and, and Boris Johnson are mad. And so the the propaganda out there isn't isn't really helping a lot of people, you know. One minute hey, it's like we could shut a business down, just shut down all the news. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, that would help. But so how do we how do we, how do we really help people right now? How do we like really if, if I had if I put a hundred people in a room downstairs, okay, and said, right, Craig's coming to talk to you. Sit down, get your notepads out, okay. I know you're worried, I know you're scared, but he's here, okay. Listen to what he's got to say. What would you say? So this is it. So I have a similar feel like situation. I went through a similar situation. I know. I know the frustration people are going through. So in 2002, I lost, I lost my job. And that's, you know, that was when I had that falling out. And it was a real severe blow because I put a lot of um, my identity into that job, which was a huge mistake. And so I, I know what it's like to wake up and know that you should be looking for a job, but have not a lot, a lot of motivation. Um, you know, I was taking a nap within two hours of getting up and, so here are the things that got me through it in that I would, especially knowing like if things went really bad for me now, I would do the same is one, the morning routine is just as important now as it is when you are a high performer and running a business or working for somebody or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. You can't lose that morning because in the morning we have the greatest discipline, willpower and intention. So if we then slide into staying up late at night, you know, self-medicating with television, Netflix, whatever it is, and foods and, and alcohol, then we're going to get up late. And if you get up late, you're not going to have the motivation to move forward on anything. And you're really just going to be checking until when's it, you know, seven o'clock for dinner so that I can then go into the Netflix again and, you know, escape from the world. So we must, we must stick to as much of a regimented schedule as possible. Please, please do that. So then the second thing the thing that got me through it was my network and it was in two ways. So I had, I was lucky, but that by that time through my email newsletter that I had started in 1999, I had built up a really great reputation in the industry and a lot of contacts. So I was able to connect with a lot of people and find my next opportunity. So this is where you have to mine your database of contacts, you know, your Facebook page, your LinkedIn, you have to go through and, and you don't just go and ask for stuff. You have to add value to them, which fortunately I had been doing, building up what one of my uh, friends and business partners calls the Goodwill bank account. And it, this is much like the real bank account that we all should have been building during the good times. Hopefully we did so that we can ride the storm out. Um, but same with a Goodwill bank account. It, it, you've got to build that in good times. And the Goodwill bank account is where you have done so many good things for other people that when it's time for you to ask for a favor, that you don't feel guilty about it, that you don't become indebted to somebody, that people are glad and willing to help you. Now, of course, that that may or may not be something you can tap into right now. And it might be easier easy for me to say, well, yeah, but I don't, you know, say, Hey, go and, and ask for a favor and, and other people listening. Well, I don't really have anybody to tap into because, you know, for whatever reason I didn't build that up. But if you have the chance now, start building it for the next time when you may need it. And the goodwill, like one good thing to watch 
is the Dream 100 uh, video on YouTube by Russell Brunson. He talks about it in his book, Traffic Secrets. But you can just go and type in Dream 100, and there's a clip from one of his affiliate summits where he just walks through this. And we do this in our business. And the Dream 100 is you come up with 100 people that you want to connect with, and then you go and figure out a way you can add value to them, and you grow a connection with them. So that one day you may need to ask them a favor, you may partner with them. It's a long game, but start playing it now. Now, the other way that you benefit from your network is, and this is the way that actually got me the most uh, progress, was I just looked at all the people that I had been in contact with that had helped me in the past, and I said, there's no way I'm going to let these people down. Um, and there was one gentleman in particular, a guy named Adam Campbell, who worked at Men's Health Magazine in America. And he had, you know, he had given me so many opportunities to write for the magazine. And I just I had written his name down in this notepad because I would do a lot of thinking exercises and, and you know, visioning and all that type of stuff. And on, on the days when I was really depressed and I would just sit there and go, oh, you know what, I can't let Adam down. I mean, what would Adam think if he saw me sitting here and wallowing in my misery and not taking action? You know, he had given me all this opportunity and here I am throwing it away. So to me, that type of thing inspires me and motivates me on my bad days. And then the last thing I will say is, and this is kind of connected to it, is I'm a big, I, I, I'm a history buff of World War II. For some reason, I am attracted to that time period more than anything else. And so, you know, I, I've read many, many books on it. And so one thing, I think it great, gives you great perspective that, okay, we're, we're sitting through 120 days of this so far. Maybe it'll be a stretch out to 12 months. Maybe it'll stretch out to be 18 months. Not, not great times. But, I mean, to think back, I mean, you're from, you know, jolly old England. So, I mean, you know, think of what they went through from 1939 through 1945. I mean, rationing and living in fear and this, that, and the other thing. And here we are. I can't handle 120 days. Yeah, I can handle handle 120 days. But the other aspect of it is think about the sacrifices that people made, you know, whatever country you're from, the sacrifices that people made to give you the freedom to have this opportunity. And then think about your parents. What sacrifices did your divorced parents make? I mean, uh, I mean, I've raised a dog on my own and like ha raising a dog on my own is enough to drive you mad sometimes. Like, you, you know, if the dog can't sleep through the night, you're like, basically you lose your mind. Now imagine a single parent raising a child on their own, raising two children, three children. And, you know, who, whatever your parents' situation was, like I told you before, my parents were such hard workers. Like, I'm not going to disrespect the sacrifice that they made and sit around and wallow in self-pity. So yeah, I know it sucks. Uh, it's tough. There's difficult decisions to make, but I'm the type of person I would go out and I would get whatever job I possibly could right now. And in the time that I wasn't working, I would find the next opportunity because, you know, you go back to when I got that first job at 12. I mean, there's barely been less than a hundred days where I haven't worked a full day in my life. So to me, not working, it just, it doesn't sit right with me. So that's what I would say to somebody. And eventually I probably would get to the point where people like this guy's really angry and mean. <laughs> I would have to like try and smile a bit, but that's what I would do because I've been there. I've done that and I've gotten through it. And I know everybody else will too, because it's really in the course of history, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened. And other people got through worse. I think that, um, 
lots of people that were complaining about their jobs that might have been losing their jobs. It's, all, it's a little bit like complaining about your girlfriend and then she dumps you. It's like, no, 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 but don't dump me. No, no, we're meant to be together. It's kind of like all of a sudden you realize that the job is a good job. But on the whole, most people we know statistically don't actually enjoy the job that they do. And so for me, if you're being made redundant right now or your job's in jeopardy, I, I, I say, look, think about what you would love to do think about what you'd really enjoy doing and exactly the step that you just said go get a job so that you can tide yourself over for now while you spend the time studying and researching and doing the things you need to do to get into the industry that you really wanted to in the first place and so i think i think that that's that's like such an essential thing and you write about perspective because you know in the second world war the children were all sent away from the cities they were all sent to the countryside to go and live down there away from away from the bombs and stuff people did go through a lot but again it's it's easy for me and you with our types of mindset to say because it is you know just compare it to this just compare it to that you, look your life isn't difficult compared to a lot of people yeah but, it never works but it doesn't that's not how we're built yeah, it doesn't go in. And so... Because, because the thing is, and, and this kind of explains a lot of the politics in America, is you can't take something away from somebody and expect them to react well. So, you know, in America, a lot of people had good jobs and have lost those jobs. And maybe they've got a new job paying less. And people say to them, oh, you know, just you're still making more than these other people. That doesn't work in the human mind. That's just the way that we're psychologically wired like literally wired that way. And so when you take somebody's job away and you say, well, yeah, but you know, like 50 years ago or 80 years ago now, you know, it was World War II and you should, you know, like this is no big deal. Like I understand there's actually, it's totally futile to say that to 99% of people. And so that's why, you know, everything I set up before that still, still does um, apply and hopefully that the other stuff might be the icing on the cake to get a few other people. You know, it's kind of like if I said that to a billion people, like, you know, 10 million of it would really appreciate that. I just need to say it to a billion and not just a room of 100 people where only one person would really apply it. But, yeah, I understand the futility of it, but I'm willing to bring out everything um, in the arsenal, in the toolbox to get people to move that step forward. And, and I guess that's one other little thing that I should mention is that in my coaching, I'm a huge proponent and always have been since my fitness days of little victories. If you get a little victory today, you're more likely to come back and do something tomorrow. But if, if you are, you know, you join a coaching program, the first thing you have to do is a three hour intake thing. And it's like, okay, well, they put it off, they put it off and they never do it. And they just feel frustrated after seven days. Like, well, I haven't gotten any, any results yet. It's just the same as when we were in the fitness days. We wanted to give them a short workout that made them feel good. We wanted to give them nutrition tips that, that you know, would help them see a weight loss on the scale because research shows in the fitness world, and I think this applies to the business world too, is that if you see fast results, you are more likely to stick with the program and achieve long-lasting results. So that's another thing that I would probably sit there. I would take them through the forms give them clarity that I, that I teach in my workshops and stuff, give them clarity. I'd help them build the 90 day blueprint that includes quick victories. And if possible, I would get people to do some of the things in the actual little you know seminar that I did. Like, Hey, let's all take out our phones and send a text to three people in our network. Um, and you know, just use this script and let's see if we can get some, at least we've done something. So that's a victory. 
and maybe we'll get a reply back even before we leave this room with some something that gives you hope, light, and optimism as well. I do that. I do that with with my coaching, but I do it slightly differently. So I, I ask everybody to get the phone out and um, I just make sure that their parents are alive, their mum or their dad. And I ask them, okay, just to send. I said, just send a text to your mum right now and tell her that you love her. And 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 I don't want you to do anything else. Just say. I like the, don't give a war and peace. So I just messages. I'm just messaging you right now just to let you know that I love you. And uh, my goodness, we have tears from lots of people because they have, have not, not given their mum as much time as they should have done. They've been busy with their lives and getting on with stuff and, you know, and all that, all those kind of things that build up in front. And so, and it just, it's just realizing that those little things can make a big difference to other people. Talk to me about, talk to me about self-sabotage. Well, self-sabotage, we see that in a lot of people who are just going to talk themselves out of uh, the success. And so there's, you know, my friend and one of my coaches, a guy named Pedro Skoulian says, we all have this e-break on. Uh, a lot of people have an e-break on, which means they should be getting greater results. And maybe they self-sabotage by not sharing and not being vulnerable. Maybe they self-sabotage by getting to a point where they're successful and then they do something stupid whether it's, you know, they go and start drinking or they start cheating or, you know, some huge mistake, or it's maybe just a series of small mistakes where they start losing their habits that got them there. And so what I've found in, in people is that we need to get them to realize, because I think self-sabotage happens a bit because of imposter syndrome and people feel that they're not worthy of certain results. So they, you know, blow it up all in their faces. And what I found with the clients that I work with to help them get over that, those that need the help there is that we need to get them to understand that, you know, if they're an expert in a field, even whether they're an accountant or whether they're somebody who's in the health and fitness space is that, listen, you're an expert. You've forgotten 90%. You've forgotten more than 90% of people, 95% of people will ever know you're an expert. And we just need to be able to get them to see that they can go out and help people. And when they do that, then all of a sudden they can, stop self-sabotaging but there's a there's a million ways that people do it for a million different reasons and at the end of the day we just need to get them over some of the things that hold them back which sometimes may go all the way back to childhood maybe they had bad money mindset from their parents like i didn't have a great money mindset from my parents it was classic um you know we're not rich never going to be rich you know we can't afford anything money doesn't grow up grow on trees all this stuff that Uncle G talks about and so many, so many speakers talk about, we've all heard the, the shtick before because it's so common and that's generally a source of that self-sabotage as well. Hmm. And then let's talk about um, self-care because I'm not entirely sure that people, people understand the concept of self-care or, or if they do pay attention to it the way they should. And I think it's really important. I mean, what are your thoughts around self-care? I look at it, I use the analogy when I teach this is you, if you are a high performer in any area of life, you are a professional athlete. And so you, you know, you don't make, we'll use uh, basketball as an example. So you don't make LeBron James play 48 straight minutes of basketball. You know, he, there's halftime, there's TV timeouts, there's quarter timeouts, there's substitutions. Because if you made everybody play 48 straight minutes of basketball, the quality of basketball would suffer and they would get injured. So why do you think that you're going to do four to five hours of phone calls? I'm going to do, you know, my sales calls are an hour long. I'm just going to book sales call after sales call after sales call or 
or do anything for six straight hours. I'm going to sit here and write my book for six straight hours. No, you're not. Because that quality of work in those six hours is going to degrade rapidly over time. So I've talked to a lot of people where they do sit there for four straight hours, whether they're a coach or a salesperson, and you know they don't drink enough water, they don't go to the bathroom, they don't eat enough, and then you know maybe they did okay for two or three or of those four hours, and then it went downhill, and then the rest of the day is shot because it was just not good energy management. So I say you got to look at yourself as a professional athlete. I'm not really big on the self care terms, so it's like I want to look at you as a professional athlete. So you know you got to sleep sleep well, you got to properly pre uh, prepare and plan your day the night before, you got to have your to-do list done the night before, you have to have, uh, know your body and know your nutritional intake so that you have a similar nutrition intake every day that gives you the energy and if we need to figure this out, let's do food journaling for a couple of weeks and figure you out there, get the right amount of caffeine, smaller doses more frequently, as shown by the US Army, that this is the best way to stay alert all day, not the 300 milligrams of caffeine first thing in the morning and then another 200 milligrams in the afternoon. That's not the way to do it. And so we'll just do a deep dive into optimizing somebody's mental performance. You can, you know, like with my background, I can do it pretty quick in, in a couple of days and then also eliminate the distractions and temptations. And so I, it's definitely, I don't have a soft approach to self-care. I have a hardcore, you're a pro athlete and I'm going to get you functioning like, like one approach to that so that they can just absolutely you know, dominate their workday and get more done in six hours than they do in 10, which then allows them to have more time for the recovery, the family time, the presence, and everything that they're working so hard for. This is, this is, that's a really good point, man. There's a guy called Ben Angel that wrote a book called Unstoppable, same title as yours. I know, so random. Have you, have you, do, you know it? do you know the book? I, know, I only know the book because people send me pictures of it. <laughs> and and I swear this book came out at like the same time as mine did and I think we both looked at Tim Grover's book Relentless for for an inspiration on both the cover and the title I got I got like weird emails like you're plagiarizing him like dude it's just a book cover and it's the name of a book so I actually changed the cover of mine to be black because it was both in it was in red text and both I don't know the guy. I don't. I haven't read the book. I mean, but I got some weird emails for a while, and I I don't care. Uh, you know, I'm not like the book inside the book. It's my life story, so clearly I didn't plagiarize it and whatever. But I don't know the contents of the book. Um, I'm not sure if it's about anxiety as well or high performance or whatever. So I, I'm unfamiliar with what's in this book. It, it, it was a journey that he went on. So he was he was successful, got depressed and got um, uh, brain fog, um, suffered anxiety. And so he went trying to find psychologists that could help him. And then he started to understand more about chemicals and the impact they had on your body and what, what you were consuming, basically. And so he, he didn't know which one to start with. And so and then he came to the conclusion that if he started with the right, essentially the right nutrition, it would be for him, for his, his own body. It would it would help him then from the psychological point of view. So, the, you know, common mistakes he was making. He went to, into a healthy eating mode where he went into almond milk or whatever it may be and eating all the kind of healthy stuff that people say you should eat. But 
after all the tests, they found that he he had uh, allergies to that kind of stuff. So it didn't actually work for him. But again, oblivious to everything he didn't know. And so he went on this journey of kind of testing himself. Um, and it's interesting from that perspective, because I, you know, I'm a guy that gets up every day at 4.30 every morning. I go to the gym at five o'clock. I saw a video you posted recently saying, don't everyone get up early morning. And you know what? I know people, funny enough, they're all in America, the ones that I know that think like this, but they're like, I'm best between midnight and 2 a.m. That's when I'm alive, you know, and, I'm, and I sit there and I'm like, how, how, how do you, <laughs> that doesn't, I don't get that. But um, anyway, so I get up, I go to the gym religiously every day. I work out hard every single day. And however, as a 50 year old man, um, I don't, I don't watch my food as much as I should. And so I don't see the kind of differences and the benefits that other people see in terms of their physique, because my diet isn't, isn't, isn't on point, let's say. So then, and so then you have the discussion that you say with yourself, it's like, well, does that really matter? As long as you're kind of like fit and healthy, you want to enjoy the nice things that you eat, you have that one. And then one day you, you, you're one way, the other day you're another way and you go backwards and forwards. But what, what, he was saying in the book really resonated with me because it was like, you've really got to understand the impact what you consume has on your body. And like you just hit on the nail of the head with the coffee thing. Okay, he has other things. And I'm like, you know what? I've never thought about, I've always thought about the impact of food on my physical body, okay, on my body shape, but I've never thought about the impact of what I consume on my mind and how strong my mind can perform. And so that, that's, that's why that book was interesting to me. So when, when I talk to people like you that have come from that, that kind of like that personal fitness space in the beginning, you, you, you come from a place where it's, it's, it's truly mind, body and soul, as opposed to a lot of the coaches that come from the place where they'll say it, but they, 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 don't, have any, they don't have any gravitas to talk about it. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think most people have probably heard about how Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg always wear the same shirt or whatever. They have the uniform so they don't have to think about it. And I actually have the same approach to, I have a uniform breakfast, I have a uniform lunch, and even when I go to a steakhouse, I love going to a steakhouse, I have a, if it's a business dinner, I have a uniform business dinner steakhouse order so that I don't eat too much, I'm full, I don't crave the dessert, and I leave there and I, I'm not going to be bloated or you know stuffy uh, the next morning. So I just... And it's very easy if you just simply use a food journal and you just write down what you're eating at every meal and when you want to eat your next meal, when you're hungry and, and why you feel that way, then you can easily just connect the dots. It's a very scientific method. Oh, if I go to Burger King at lunch I, uh, at 12 o'clock, I'm always sleepy at 2 o'clock. Most people go 40 years through their life without making that connection. And all you have to do is solve that. And it's like, oh, well, if I just eat this and, and I don't have a soda, I'm actually pretty good in the afternoon. One small change can really elevate your productivity and creativity. So for me, you know, again, I'm, I used to apply that to well, how does the performance, the physical performance, but there is that mental performance of it. So I eat the same thing almost every single day for breakfast and lunch. And then at dinner, I can eat whatever I, I generally want because it doesn't impact my mental performance over the course of the day. Yeah. Okay. Makes a lot and, of sense. And, and, you know, like you only have to be that way three or four days out of the week to really knock it out of the park. If somebody is struggling with that, like, it's not, like, you don't have to do it on Saturday and Sunday and so on and so forth. But if you really want to be successful on a certain day, 
make sure that you have your new, you know, your game day nutrition, just like somebody in the premier league has to have their game day nutrition. You got to have your game day nutrition if you want to perform and you should know it. If you have a presentation at 10 AM or 2 PM, it might be a different game day nutrition, but that, that is just such a simple thing that you can do and elevate your performance in so many areas of life. I think if you can master those little things, you know, even when you take, I don't know, fat, sick and nearly dead, that, that Aussie guy that came over and juiced across America and stuff, even, you know, and he said the first two or three days of doing that are killer, you know, they're really, really hard. But after two or three days, then you'll start to get better. I think it's the same with people changing their food habits. The first few days are difficult, but once you can master that, I think it gives you an incredible amount of confidence Okay, because hold on, you're you're proving stuff to yourself. And and it's a little bit about, you know, how you and I talk about goals. To me, it's like small wins. You've said it as well. It's like small wins, champion the small wins, because those little wins, okay, are going to give you more confidence. And the more confidence you get, the more you believe it. And then then your, your belief system becomes one of I can as opposed to I might, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the greatest things I, I ever studied was when I was 16 years old, I got into bodybuilding, was reading the Ar- Arnold magazines. And one of the magazines had like calorie counts of every food you could possibly imagine. And I, I just looked at that thing. I kind of studied it for a couple of days. And I've, I, I can go into any restaurant and I know exactly how much to eat and know that that's about a thousand calories. So I can't eat any more than that. And so I've never had to struggle with any weight issues because I always know how many calories and just from that little education that I did way back then that uh, it's set me up for life with energy and, and weight maintenance that I don't have to worry about it. So it's, but it's, so it's very much like if you just go and do a little bit of study for, for a, a small amount of time, the leverage that that gave me over time, very much like someone who studied, you know, who learned uh, their personal finances at age 18, like if you understand that, you've got the next 70 years of your life where you're going to do well with your personal finances. Don't wait until it becomes a huge issue. Yeah, agreed. So what, let's talk about, you know, I'm five years older than you. So people that kind of inspired me when I was really young, you know, I, I remember buying the cassette tapes from Zig Ziglar all those years ago. You know, you got to have goals. You know, and in England, that, that, that Southern droll was quite an interesting one to hear. And but. But when it, when it comes to people that, that have inspired you and the best kind of advice you've ever been given, can you remember somebody that's, that said something to you once that really resonated with you and then you carried it through with your career? I wish I could. I wish I really had something that, uh, that stood out to me. I don't know. I kind of had an internal drive ever since I was young. I, I, I was driven by seeing other people succeed and I just wanted to catch up to them. Like, for example, in, in first grade, I saw a couple other kids, they got preferential treatment because they learned how to read big words and books and they got to go down to the principal's office and read to him. And I was like, I don't like that. I want to be in there too. So I taught myself how to read apparently and was able to go down um, and do that. So there, you know, I think I just followed a lot of sports people and I didn't have, you know, I wasn't into the goal setting stuff. The only person that really inspired me in a roundabout way was Stephen King. Because I started reading, reading Stephen King books at age 14, and I think that inspired me to want to write. And, you know, his book uh, on writing is a, an incredibly great book because it's more of a biography than it is uh, a book on how to write. But one of the things in his books has really helped me. It, it, he applied it to writing, but it can be applied to pretty much everything in life. 
is kill your darlings. Kill your darlings. And what that means is you think you write a really great sentence in your, in your book, but then you go and read the chapter and goes, well, this has no place, but it's such a great sentence. I'm going to keep it in there. No, you kill it. You kill it because it makes the writing better. And it might be some habit that you have in life. Oh, you know, like for a lot of people, they actually shouldn't try and get up in the 5 a.m. club. And for most people, they, they should try and not uh, avoid working. In my opinion, they should avoid working out first thing in the morning because most people, unlike you, who do work out first thing in the morning and then are able to do the hard work, most people use these morning routines now of, as perverse forms of procrastination. You know, they get up, they do gratitude journaling, free form journaling. They watch uh, you know, Eric Thomas on YouTube. Then they got to go and and they have to do yoga and meditation and interpretive dance. And, you know, it's like a four hour morning routine, right? And they never get around to the hard thing and they go, oh, I'll find time for it later. No, no, you got to kill your darlings of the morning routine. Get up first thing in the morning, work on your hardest thing. And if you really want to do all of those other things, like if they're really important, you will make time for them because they are important. Like for me, I like to, I love working out but I will not work out until after 11 o'clock in the morning because I have to work in the morning. And if I worked out first thing in the morning, I wouldn't get nearly as much done if compared to working out at lunchtime, that's the reward for me. And I have to work really, really hard in the morning. So if you have to look around and look at the things that, you know, other people say are really important for you to do. And are you doing them for, an actual benefit or are, you, or are you really just procrastinating? And if you're procrastinating, kill that thing and, you know, be ruthless with your time. My, my early morning routine and my trainer is the only time of day that somebody tells me what to do. And, and, and I, I have really unusual relationships with trainers and I, and I get through them often because my rule is don't become my friend. Whatever you do, do not become my friend. I know we'll, we know we'll laugh and joke and whatnot through the session because the moment we become friends, you're going to ask me to do something and I'm going to go, yeah, but I don't want to do that. And as a friend, as a friend, you, then you eventually what will happen is time will go by and the routine will be designed around what's, what, what I enjoy doing rather than what I need to do. So don't become my friend. And, and for that one hour that you've got me from, I think it's 5.15 to 6.15, that one hour, take no nonsense from me, take no bullshit from me, and let's just get the job done. And then, so, so I, I get up, I don't look forward to it. I drive there, I don't look forward to it. I walk in there, I don't look forward to it. Okay, and then we start within, you know, five minutes of whatever we're doing to get going. I'm starting to, I'm, I'm starting to get into it and, I, and I'm, I'm in it now, I can't get out of it. And so then I just throw everything at it. And it's the moment that we finish that I'm on my knees that literally, he's like okay i'll see you tomorrow and that's the moment i enjoy it when i'm walking out of that place and you enjoy it for the next several hours too. yeah but the, the, my day my day works if i don't i reckon if i don't do that first thing in the morning i'm 20 30 maybe even 40 percent less effective because i need i need that to have it's almost like i come back i drive back get in the shower and then you know 7 15 i'm ready to take on the day and i'm alive and when, when, when I don't do that, and there's been a couple of times in lockdown where that wasn't possible, and it was like, I would get up like a zombie. And so that's me. But hey, everyone's different, aren't they? Oh, that's great, man. So just give me a little bit of an idea before we finish here. If people heard your name, listened to, me on the, listened to you on the podcast and said, you know what, I'd like, um, I'd like to see what this guy can do for me. I'd like to see how this guy could help me. 
What what are the, the, the three main things that you can help people do? Well, people call me the world's most disciplined man, which is kind of funny. Um, I'm not, but I'm very productive. So I, I fix people's daily schedules so they become more creative and productive. And then I also help people become better leaders in their business so that they get more um, from their team members who want to give more so that they are able to work less and the business grows faster. And then I'm also pretty good with the marketing strategies and sales strategies for most businesses so that we are able to accelerate the results, whether through their Facebook advertising or their email marketing, whatever it is. And I guess the last thing is I, I'm always able to find a connection for somebody, whether it's, oh, they need a copywriter. I've got someone who's a great rate and is the best for you. Or you need somebody who does Facebook ads. I've got uh, a lot of people who can do that. You need a sales closer. I've got somebody who can do that. So I connect people all day long. And, and I don't just mean like in my local neighborhood. I mean, you know, somebody in Colombia to somebody in California. I've made those connections and I love doing that because I just get such a joy out of connecting people and knowing that it's going to uh, lead to great results. So those are the things that I do for people. Good, excellent stuff. Craig, I really want to say a big thank you to you for coming on the show. Um, I'll make sure that the links to, to your website and to your social media channels are here for everybody to get access to. Guys, if you're listening to this right now, you're watching it, do me a favor, go follow Craig, go listen to what he's got to say. I've been listening to it. Okay, I have. All right, so if I'm listening to it and I'm learning, then you could learn too, all right? So make sure you take time to do so. Ladies and gentlemen, the awesome Craig Ballantyne. <laughs> So there we have it, another great episode with the awesome Craig Ballantyne. I tried to get him for a while, actually, and he's been a bit difficult because he's quite a successful guy over in the States and in Canada. But I want to make sure I keep bringing high-quality people to you so that they can add value to you. You're my audience. You're my listeners. I want you to be listening to people that have got great stories to tell but also great advice to give and can bring great value to you. So hopefully you've enjoyed that show. Please do me a favor if you're listening to this on iTunes. Go and leave me a five-star review. I'd really appreciate it if you're consuming this on soundcloud or spotify or anything like that please uh, you know leave me some comments leave me a recommendation if you could because if you do more people get to hear of this show more people get to listen to it and more people can be inspired and motivated particularly at times like this